Hello, I'm Gotham Paul from NZ Blockchain Forums, and welcome to the latest edition of Blockchain Bytes. Today, we're going to be talking with Alex Schmeler, who is the co-founder and CEO of Non-Fungible Labs, um, NF Labs, as everyone knows, I think, worldwide. Hello, Alex, and thank you so much for coming on to the um, to this uh, edition. Um, really want to just find out, you know, what started you off on this journey of uh, in the NFT space. I know, you know, um, the company has gone on leaps and bounds with Fluff World. How did it all come about? What really sort of got you into this? Yeah, um, thanks for having me. Um, we formed uh, almost a year ago uh, in March 2020. Um, personally, I kind of dabbled in the crypto space for, well, since about 2017, 2016. Um, and, you know, had some successes, some not so much, um, and kind of stepped away from it. I'd at the time been working in a range of different um, positions around sort of project management, um, initially working for quite a successful entrepreneur over in, in the UK, um, working on projects from entertainment, hospitality, events, construction, uh, investment, tech startups, um, and charitable philanthropic projects, um, particularly in Greece and Lebanon through the, the refugee crisis um, and was actually living in London for about eight years before coming back to New Zealand at the start of 2020, oh, sorry, 2021, um, where I was kind of exploring new opportunities. Um, I had, you know, a, a good understanding of uh, blockchain and the crypto space and its potential to reshape kind of the world as we knew it. Mm -hmm. um, at the time, I'd kind of only just been introduced to NFTs and really started to see their potential um, and connected with uh, someone I kind of knew from the New Zealand scene. I think everyone in the New Zealand scene knows him, Brooke Howard Smith. Um, you know, he's, he's been everywhere. Um, and we, we kind of connected and were exploring different opportunities around a range of different projects to start um, before, you know, we kind of saw the potential of, of um, NFTs. And at the time was then introduced to... Um, Aaron McDonald uh, and a few others, Andrew Beetson and Matt Hunter, who ended up becoming the co-founders of Non-Fungible Labs. Um, in parallel, actually reconnected with an old friend of mine, uh, Jesse Metcalf, who is our creative director and co-founder. Um, and he is, you know, we've known each other for about half our lives. Um, he's one of those, you know, prolific creatives who never worried about money, never had any money to worry about. Um, Great position but, to be in. <laughs> well, you know, it's when you're doing what you love, you don't kind of care about that. And, you know, this is the thing is he was just, he was one of those creatives who just loved to create and um, wasn't really so interested in how am I going to make money off this? It was just what's some crazy that I can bring to life today. Mm -hmm. um, and, yeah, we, we started exploring some projects um, on the side myself um, just to sort of jump in head first um, and in parallel was working uh, with Non-Fungible Ads with Aaron and Brooke and the team there to, to launch a few projects that they had um, until soon enough I realised that we just needed to bring Jesse into Non-Fungible Labs to really have that kind of creative powerhouse um, as one of the co-founders. Um, that led us through, we had a, a few different projects that we were toying with at the time. Jesse and myself started one, which was just a kind of pixel 2D project called Pixel of the Apes, which was just... Yes, I heard about that, read about that, yeah. Mm. Bit of fun. Um, we we actually raised a lot of money for like the Jane Goodall Institute through that as well. Mm. Um, and we also had a, a 
a project that was started with non-fungible labs called Unstoppable Art Machine, which was a, a way that we kind of thought about interesting ways to apply NFTs to more traditional industries. And something like street art has really grown in recent years. You know, if you go back a couple of decades, street art was, you know, a, a crime. Well, that is still a crime for a large yeah. part, but it was yeah. no one no one wanted it. Whereas now, you know, all the trendy companies have some crazy street art outside or something. And we wanted to, I mean, the beauty of street art is it's it's quite ephemeral. Um, you know, it exists in that time and place, but that may disappear before you know it, you know, whether it's the building being knocked down or being painted over. Um, you know, I know the council can often water blast, you know, great pieces of art off by mistake, <laughs> but we wanted to ensure that we could immortalize these, these incredible pieces of art, but we did so in a way that made it fun, rewarding and engaging, which was to create a, a treasure hunt um, with well-known street artists where we would start releasing clues across social media um, and basically this new piece of street art that was put in somewhere slightly hidden um, would have a QR code attached to it. The first person to find that piece of street art, scan the QR code, um, Clank got the the one-of-one NFT for that piece. And Mm. it was a really fun experiment. Um, It was not necessarily, uh, you know, a cash cow of sorts. It was quite logistically heavy and... um, you know, it, but it was it was a really interesting way to explore potential use cases for the technology. At the time, we also saw uh, Board Ape Yacht Club, you know, launch and and the success that they had and where the industry was moving. And we realized the potential to kind of drive more in that direction ourselves. Um, when it came to like Pixel of the Apes, where Je- Jesse had been doing them all by mm-hmm. hand, um, which can be quite a laborious prog- process compared okay. to this generative technique, which a lot of other uh, people like like Board Ape Yacht Club were adopting. Mm. So we we started exploring that as a potential route. Um, we actually had sort of four or five different kind of concepts in the space at the time. Um, and what we saw was that everything was heading towards the metaverse. Um, this was well before Facebook did their kind of publicity stunt rebrand um Mm. and we we saw this was heading down this path but to us it didn't make sense to be 2d if you're going to be metaverse focused because you know unless you're sitting on a wall like nothing's going to be 2d in the metaverse so we decided we'd create a 3d avatar collection um there had been one or two but no no one had really done it very well at the time Mm. um and you know we were exploring a few different options um we actually, you know, landed on the the rabbits came about or fluffs as we as we call them um, yeah. purely because Jesse has a Flemish giant uh, pet rabbit, um, and it was one that hadn't really been done by anyone else. We, you know, there's apes left, right, and center nowadays. Mm. Uh, but when it came to kind of seeing how we could do things that were, I guess, a bit ahead of where everyone else was at, we also then thought, well, okay, if these are supposed to be kind of living avatars that represent us, then they should be animated. And if they're going to be animated, then let's make them dancing. Well, if they're dancing, then let's partner up with some incredible producers to create music that, you know, the owners can actually own the rights to and commercialize themselves. Um, And thus Fluff and Fluff World was born. Um, We we kind of dove headfirst into it once we got the first models back. Um, and 
yeah, it was it was quite a whirlwind. We just started pulling it all the pieces together. Um, it was very much, you know, whenever we were looking at new opportunities or new things that we could do to drive the project forward, it was the answer was pretty much always yes. And that I think was was key for us was you know ensuring that whatever we were doing was you know six months ahead of anyone else in the market. Um, we had this big dream of you know how we could actually build this out as a much larger game and ecosystem and how it would all apply to the metaverse but you know we had to start somewhere so mm. to, for us it made sense to start with the characters um, and to start building out this ecosystem of characters and then start introducing you know meta spaces which we've now done with the boroughs in partnership with beyond and wellington um, and then kind of continue to expand from there and the next thing I wanted to sort of move on to is I know that you, you're going to be the title sponsor at the South by Southwest XR event in Austin. How did that come about? I mean, are you, are you actually going to be in America for that or will you do it? I, am, I am, yes. Um, so I will be there on the ground. We have a few others will be joining. Um, I'll be hosting a few of the, the panels and talks. Um, it actually came about, must have been about a month after we launched. So this was still before you know, Facebook had, had done that rebrand and the metaverse still wasn't the buzzword that it was nowadays. Mm. Um, but we saw this opportunity and actually I think it was uh, Brooke and Aaron um, that, you know, saw this opportunity for the sponsorship, the title sponsorship for uh, mixed realities, so XR, VR and the metaverse um, at South By. And I think it's important as well that, you know, so much of the space just exists digitally but to be able to have these real world activations or physical kind of um, transformations between to, to bridge the, the two mm-hmm. are really important. And South by Southwest is one of, if not the largest um, tech, music, culture festivals in the world, you know, 10 days in, in Austin. Mm-hmm. Um, so we saw this as just an incredible opportunity for us to, you know, bring a lot of what we're doing to the real world, meet with other people from the industry. Um, and really kind of use it as a platform to establish ourselves. Um, and one of the big things that we're using it for is, is really a, a call to arms for the wider industry because we're in such a fast-moving industry and so it's, it's such a fu- future-focused industry, but everyone's kind of scrambling and throwing ideas around. Some are sticking, some aren't, but one of the biggest buzzwords in this industry is interoperability the whole concept of the metaverse and nfts is i can take my asset from this world to that world and it will work now there's very limited interoperability at the moment and i think a lot of that comes down to the fact that you know development standards are there's plenty of different ways that you can build assets and different engines you can build them in so we're using south by southwest as to, to launch a, a metaverse manifesto, which is essentially a call to arms for the wider industry to, to sit down together and just answer a few of these kind of key questions that will help build a solid foundation for everyone moving forward. Because we're all here to for the same purpose. We're all wanting to create some incredible content that can coexist. But if we all do it on our own, then we have to deal with that interoperability issue afterwards. Whereas you know, we've identified a number of issues around not just interoperability, but security, moderation, uh, communication. Um, there's a whole wealth of kind of new 
governance procedures that need to be put in place for this new world that we're building. Um, so let's get these experts, you know, let's get the wider industry down together because, you know, we, we can't dictate those answers. I'm certainly not smart enough to answer most of those questions. I can help write the question, but um, let's bring the experts together and, and sit down at a table and just agree to some standards so that when we do all start charging forward with everything that we're building, we know that it'll actually work together. And I think that's one of the most exciting things about South by Southwest is this opportunity to, to build something that will help the wider industry as a whole come together and work towards a platform that will allow for mass adoption because the current system right now is, you know, it's quite expensive um, and we need to build in ways that allow for anyone to be able to kind of engage with, with this industry. I hate to say this, Alex, but I remember this 30 years ago when WWW was almost like, Oh, what does that mean? Um, And it was all about interoperability. It was all about creating this whole new world of people being able to do things together at one time in one place. And blockchain, obviously, the whole reason and raison d'etre behind that was to get rid of all the idea of having closed proprietarial um, platforms. Um, yeah. Do you think we're finally reaching that stage now where it is going to, because I mean, there's been lots of talk about, you know, there's been subject to fraud and, um, you know, you've got the criminals jumping on the bandwagon. But Yeah, I mean, a lot of that's a bit of a, a you know, red herring, I think, or a straw man yeah. argument in the sense that, you know, all of these often things that are levied against blockchain and crypto as a whole as, oh, you know, it's a platform for criminals or for hate speech or whatever, like that's just purely reflective of society as a whole. I don't think there's anything to, in fact, for a large part, a lot of cryptocurrency is incredibly transparent, Um, you know, so you can't, unless you're, you're using specific protocols to hide, which you can do that sort of stuff in, in more web two environments anyway. Um, but I think it is, it's a very important question to, to bridge because we need to ensure that whatever we're building, you know, the, the, the big argument or the big kind of selling point of, uh, web three cryptocurrency blockchain is that it puts power in the hands of the individual. Um, but as we learned from Spider-Man with great power comes great responsibility and you have to take accountability for for your own security in that respect. Um, now, it has kind of been accepted as status quo to date that like you're going to get hacked or, or fall victim to a scam or something at some point in this industry. But if we really want to achieve mass adoption, that can't be the way. Um, and it falls into sort of two categories um, because look, if my, if my wallet gets compromised, and that only that's only ever going to happen because I compromised it unknowingly, of course, but but because I clicked on something that I shouldn't have, I can't call the bank and say, "Hey, get me my money back." It's just not how blockchain works. Mm. Uh, whereas, if it's, so, so there's there's kind of two grounds to this. Is one is education, which is incredibly important. You know, we need to educate people at every point of the way how this industry works. Uh, it's one of the most important things that we say to people in our community is, you know, if you're bringing people into this industry, don't just teach them how to set up a wallet and how to go onto OpenSea and buy an NFT. Teach them all of the, the pitfalls and security issues that, you know, everyone else has experienced at some point. Because, mm-hmm. you know, as someone bringing them into this industry, in this community, 
you do have a certain kind of level of responsibility. Yeah, uh, mm. The mm. other side of that is the actual tech itself. Now, if we want to have true decentralization, then we can't have, you know, that governing element that says, hey, no, you stole that, give it back. Mm. Um, but there are definitely tools that we can apply on the front end that can, can mitigate these risks. And a big one, you know, MetaMask is, a, you know, one of the most commonly used wallets, especially when it comes to the NFT space. Um, a lot of what is done currently through MetaMask and these sorts of wallets is essentially blind signing. You don't actually know what it is that you're signing a lot of the time. And I always say this to people, like if, you know, so often a bunch of transactions will be queued and you just, okay, confirm them all. No, 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 no. Reject them. Unless you know exactly what you're signing, you need to reject it. Um, and there's definitely work that can, and I think, and I believe is being done on that front to actually provide more in-depth information as to what is going on with that signing process. Because say, for example, if you accidentally landed on a scam website and it looked for all intents and purposes legitimate, and you thought you were signing a legitimate transaction, but when that, that signature popped up, MetaMask said, actually, by the way, this will let them take all of the NFTs out of your wallet or clear out all of your cryptocurrency, that, that's something that you'd, okay, you know, take a, take a second and review and are you sure you want to sign this sort of thing? Mm -hmm. So there's still a lot that needs to be done. I think with any kind of, um, you know, groundbreaking technology, there's going to be teething issues. There's going to be points that, you know, we can only learn from the hard way. Um, but I think, you know, this, this space is just filled with so many intelligent people that, um, you know, we'll, we'll figure out the answers. It may, there may be a bit of blood, sweat and tears in the process, <laughs> but, um, you know, we'll get there in the end. And, and that's always comes when it comes to breaking new ground. Thank you. I mean, it's, you know, it's great to hear, you know, about a, a, a New Zealand tech company doing something that's really making a change, making a difference. And I don't know if you read the um, sort of New Zealand Tech Story. I've just announced that they're going to be spending a million dollars to promote the New Zealand Tech Story to the world. A, to just get the opportunities out there for all of us from here, but also yeah. to encourage more talent to come here, um, which is part of the next stage of the development, I guess, of this whole process in this, this industry. Yeah, definitely. And I, I'm quite proud in terms of not just what we've managed to achieve in our wider ecosystem between us and, you know, um, Altered State Machine, who are just doing some incredible work when it comes to artificial intelligence ownership and AI and, and sorry, in the NFTs, uh, also some of our wider partnerships with the likes of Beyond. But I mean, in New Zealand as a whole, um, is, is really kind of, as always, punching above its weight uh, when it comes to the space. You know, we have another of a, a number of other key platforms from New Zealand, um, from crypto voxels to ENS domains to VV. Um, you know, they're one of the kind of well, the the leaders when it comes to really high caliber character collectibles um, from some of the most well-established brands in the world. You know, Marvel, DC, Disney, etc. Um, yeah, I think New Zealand really has the potential to become a kind of global Silicon Valley. Um, I think there's work that needs to be done uh, sort of on the infrastructure level and on the government level as well to support that. But I, you know, in general, I'm, I'm very proud of kind of what we've managed to achieve so far. And I don't think we'll be slowing down anytime soon. Alex, I just have one, one final question. I mean, you've been phenomenally successful with Fluff World, you know, and 
you've managed to reach uh, an audience way beyond um, sort of our, our borders. Who exactly is this audience? Um, you know, what kind of people are you looking to attract and, and, and what exactly are you trying to fulfill within the space? Well, I think, um, I mean, our audience themselves, it's, it's very global. We do obviously have a strong base in New Zealand. And I think a lot of that just comes from the sort of Kiwi pride of, you know, just through our wider networks. Um, we've been very kind of key from the start. We never wanted to take a traditional kind of influencer marketing route. So many people in the space will, you know, pay an influencer to shill their project. And all that really does is benefit people that are there just to, to flip it for a quick profit. It doesn't add any long-term value to the, to the community. So we were just entirely against that, um, that process. So we, we took a very organic approach to how we grew our community. And yes, we had you know incredible volume in the first few days. Um, that dropped off quite quickly, and it kind of leveled out um, until which which was great for us because it really shook out all of those people that were just there to, to flip for a quick profit, and it allowed us the time to build a very strong community. We worked really hard because um, the the crypto and NFT space as a whole can be quite male driven and toxic at times. Um, and that's something that we really needed to, to buck the trend on. Um, I think just in terms of the characters themselves, they are kind of, you know, more accessible, more friendly. They attract a more diverse um, audience. And I think we have probably about 30 to 40% females in our community, which is higher than most uh, other projects. Yeah. Um, mm, very and nice. That was, I think, you know, the characters themselves played a big part in that, but also just the general community um, culture that we helped drive. We we worked really hard in the early days to set this culture in place to make sure that, you know, anyone could jump into our, our Discord um, and engage with us in a way that was, you know, no one was ever kind of shot down for asking a question. It was very welcoming. Um, you know, you'd even have people come in from other projects trying to kind of badmouth us and everyone would be like, whoa, 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 like, come and hang with us. Like, let's just chat and have some fun. Or what? Um, so I'm very proud of, of that side of things and just the way that we managed to grow the community in that standpoint. I think in terms of how else we've managed to be successful was always to take a very future-focused approach, especially where we are now. I see, you know, the amount of these 10K collections that pop up every day is, you know, it's you can't keep up with them. And it's, it is getting to oversaturation, which is interesting to say because, you know, when you, you're you looking to try and get mass adoption and, you know, Facebook's 2.8 billion users sort of thing, you're, you're still miles away from that in terms of just the sheer number of avatars. But the, no one's really doing anything unique or original in that sense anymore. People think they can just launch this avatar and it'll sell out. And, you know, some of these people, you know, that these projects have some of the most talented artists in the world, people that have worked for the biggest film studios in the world, some of the best CG artists. And there's only a certain limit to how far that will take you. You know, there's, there's a digital art side of NFTs, which is kind of standalone. But when you're looking at the, the avatar collectible side of things, it really comes down to the culture and the promise of future utility everything's focused on the metaverse and what will this do in the metaverse? What part will this play? But also the cultural side of it, which is, you know, just to have this place 
where people feel like they can belong and connect with people all around the world, um, which has been more and more kind of necessary, especially with COVID yeah. and that increasing isolation. So yeah, we've managed to, to kind of balance both of those. Um, we've got such a strong foundation in our community, but then also our roadmap is, I mean, we don't have a public roadmap because no one would believe us if we posted it publicly. <laughs> like, it's, it's, insane and and i still don't even know how we've managed to keep up to date um but yeah the next six to 12 months will just be yeah i don't think anyone's quite ready especially myself for for what that's going to entail alex it's been fantastic hearing from you and, and learning more about the journey behind um nf labs um yeah this is just part of the whole process of what we're doing here at um, nzn blockchain forums and i'm looking forward to spending more time maybe later on this year and even next year in terms of you know how we develop this space and how we develop opportunities within new zealand for companies uh not just like yourselves but also the, the, the next ones we're going to be following after so alex yeah. uh, thank you so much for your time thank you and um it's been a privilege and uh been great to hear from you